All right, uh, if you see it there, I was really proud of myself because in my notes, if you were lucky enough to get one of the handheld notes, uh, since it's on the screen, I don't get one for everybody, but for the 8 o'clock, I print them out. And I was able to put uh, this chart and paste it into my notes. The problem is I was not able to figure out how to put it at the bottom so it was stuck at the top. So I'm going to go through that with you real quick and remind you uh, of this uh, cycle of sin. It's also called the Deuteronomic cycle, all right? And it's a principle that doesn't just go through Deuteronomy. It doesn't just go through the book of Judges, although here it's, it's adapted slightly to Judges. This is a principle of what happens over and over throughout the Old Testament. And remember, the New Testament teaches us in 1 Peter that the Old Testament is written for our learning so that the principles and the things that we see there we can understand spiritual things and our own selves better in the New Testament. So if you start up there uh, with the uh, 11 o'clock, you see that Israel's delivered, serves the Lord, and there's peace until the judge, Moses, Joshua, they weren't judges technically, but leaders, godly leaders. Uh, so you have these wonderful days when God is moving and everybody is faithful to God. But what happens is in times of blessing, over and over again throughout the Bible, the people move away from God. And so then you fall into idolatry, whether it be at our age, materialism or, or, or whatever it is. We, we get off the track and, and people get off the track. In the Old Testament, they would start out good, but on the bad days, we turn to God. On the good days, we drift from God, uh, interestingly enough. And then God removes his favor and protection and then things get really bad, and so Israel's oppressed. And in the story today, we're going to see about the Midianites, some of the proto-terrorists. Uh, uh, the Canaanites and some of the others use more direct kinds of conflict, but the Midianites were terrorists, and they used uh, very interesting warfare to how they, they operated. We'll look at that briefly this morning in Judges chapter 6. So Israel gets oppressed, and then for seven years, in the case of this morning's story, uh, by the way, it took 40 years of idolatry before God finally judged them. It took a generation. Then God judges them, and then there's seven years of judgment. And so for seven years, the Israelites just lose everything, and they get so bad off, and it takes them seven years to wake up and say, wait a minute, we need to get right with God. That's what we need. We need that in our families, in our marriages. We need that in our nation. We really need that. And sometimes it has to get really dark. You would think after seven years or let's say this, long before seven years, you would think the people would soften their hearts and turn back to God. But it took them seven years of devastation before their hard hearts were softened. And they said, you know what? We need to get back right with God. So Israel then cries out to the Lord, and then God raises up a leader. In this morning's section we're going to look at, uh, God raised up two. It was really bad. He raised up a prophet that we don't know the prophet's name, but we're going to look at that in the first 11 verses, or 10 verses. And then in 11 to 16, we're going to look at the initial call of Gideon. All right, so God raised up a judge who delivers them, brings righteousness in the land, and then uh, you know, good things happen until they drift again. And we see in the book of Judges this happen over and over again. But really, this is the story of the Old Testament. And so again, it's called the Deuteronomic Cycle. All right, or in this case, cycle of sin and judges. But it really is a picture of the church, all of us, uh, in our capacity to drift away from God. Now, I was mentioning at the 8 o'clock, and I think it would be good to mention to everyone this morning, and I don't know, 
Do you know how I get my sermons? I know you think, Reader's Digest. No, no, that's not it. Uh, I don't, I mean, I read commentaries, but I don't go read anyone else's sermon in terms of trying to copy someone else's sermon. I really preach to myself. I was taught at a Calvinistic uh, Presbyterian seminary, basically this, uh, because they believe in God's providence, they said, look, you preach to yourself, never preach at people. You preach to yourself and presume and that God will send the people to your church that need the same kind of lessons. They don't necessarily have the same sins or the same problems, but it will connect with them where they are if you preach to yourself. So this week I was looking at the, the text and, and uh, I'm like, Lord, what should I preach on this? And I felt like you said Judges 6. Now I'm familiar with this text. I've preached on it years ago, but it's probably been five or more years ago. It's, uh, but I felt like he said, it's, it's for me. All right, and, and now every Sunday, that you may not know this, when I preach, I'm preaching for me. And maybe that sounds kind of selfish, but I preach, I preach with the assumption that if I preach to my own heart, God will touch your own uh, and yours. So that, that's what I'm really here to do. So this has been a dry couple years. It's not been an easy time. And, and so, you know, I, I, some of you know I've been sick. My stomach is still messed up. And, and uh, you know, the Bible says in James that, to thank the Lord for the trials, that trials purify us. And sometimes God allows things to happen to purify us. But one of the things he does other times is he, he, he disciplines us because we're sinning. And, and uh, I had some prayer people say, make sure you're not sinning. And I think, I'm not aware of that. Susie seems to think there could be a few things, by the way. <laughs> but, but we're not going to go there this morning. Um, so... I want to look at these first 10 verses. I don't, I don't think this is what this is, but, but it's an important principle. I believe that the second part, what I really want to get into this morning, is verse 11 to 16. And, and I think this is something the Lord is reminding me of. Uh, it's not something that I don't know, but I think you'll find in the spiritual life that God keeps reminding of things we already know. We know it, but we're learning it in a deeper way, at a different level. It's, this is not new. Faith's not new to us. Obedience, not the gospel. We know the script, but... But God is getting us deeper and deeper uh, and, and touching us and uh, trying to help us to see uh, through repentance and his grace how we can become holy people. And surely that's what I need. And I'm trusting that you're here this morning and you need the same thing. And I hope it'll be helpful. If nothing else, take a nap and say, well, at least the bishop got his sermon this morning. All right. If it's not for you, just go ahead and start sleeping now. Just try not to snore. Um, so. All right, if you'll get the text up there, we're looking at Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I've seen it earlier on the screen. I know it's there somewhere. If you can't see it, maybe there's sin in your life. <laughs> I can, does everyone, can everyone see it up on the screen? Oh, there it is. All right, sorry. I mean, I saw it before. I mean, you, you saw it. I mean, all right, here we go. All right, now... So, Judges chapter 6, I underlined the sections that fit the Deuteronomic cycle so that you could see clearly where these different parts of the cycle are in Judges chapter 6. All right, so, here we go. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was the 1 o'clock. If some of you have the sheets, you can see the cycle. Israel turns idolatry, leaves and turns from God, all right? So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. How did he deliver them? By removing his protection and grace. God delivers by removing grace and protection that we have. All right? And so he removes it. 
uh, and now the Midianites are able to attack them. Now, other people came down and they would come and they would attack their cities and do different things, but the Midianites were sort of these early terrorists and, and, and their idea was a little bit different. What they would do is they would let you raise your cattle and your donkeys and your sheep. They'd have you uh, plant your corn or barley, whatever you're doing, and then just as it was time for the harvest, they would come down and take it all. So they'd let you, I can't imagine being a farmer. I mean, you think, I mean, I know a lot of people lost a lot of money in stock markets, so you feel like you understand, but, but can you imagine if you were working all year and, and you're plowing and you're getting rid of the weeds and you're praying for the rain and the sun and all these things, and you finally have your crop invested a whole year's worth of work, and these crazy warriors come down and take everything like locusts, the Bible says. Uh, and they did this for seven years before the Israelites got the idea, you know what? We need to get right with God. So, so the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Midian for seven years too, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens, uh, they made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. You can't grow good crops and grow animals and stuff well in the high places of mountains. But what is going up in a rocky place in a cave real high in the mountains good for? Hiding from your enemies. Okay, so they were, in, they were getting whooped so badly. Now, I'm a hillbilly, and, and, and uh, you know, that kind of makes sense to us. We, we like hiding in the mountains. That's not all the worst thing in the world, but it, it, you can't grow the best corn up in the mountains. I can tell you this, if, if you kill a deer in Pennsylvania that's been eating corn, it tastes a lot better than deer that have been eating acorns where I'm from. Okay, it's not the same, all right? So anyway, so they're hiding up in the caves and the dens and, and strongholds that they're making up in the high places to hide from the Midianites. So three, so it was, whenever Israel had sown corn, barley, whatever it was they're doing, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites. Now, the Midianites had to deal with the Amalekites and cut them in for a part because they were entering through the Amalekites area. And so that's why they were together, and of the people of the east, which would be Bedouin-type people in the ancient Near East, uh, that would come up against them. They, 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 uh, they all decide to work together to take everything from the Israelites. Four, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. They took everything. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Uh, you know, we haven't had any big locust things, have we? In Alaska, they, they say they're coming. I mean, I've seen them in other places and on TV. Uh, but, you know, they just strip everything, you know, all the grass. They, they leave nothing. Uh, both they and their camels were without number. And it just means they were very big in number, all right? They couldn't count them. And they would enter the land to destroy it with the purpose of destroying the land. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Again, seven years before they figured it out, but they cried out to the Lord. Listen, they were guilty. They were awful. They were idolaters. Uh, they didn't care about God on the good days. I mean, can you imagine people that don't care anything about God until things go bad? Well, yeah, yeah, we can because we're a lot like that. What's amazing in the story is that God in his grace and his mercy 
decided to help the most undeserving, awful kind of people like us, God's mercy was still big enough for them. Incredible. And it came to pass, verse 7, when the children of Israel cried to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said that. Now, we don't know the prophet's name. But all the prophet, I say all, all the prophet did was remind them that our God is a God who saves first and makes holy second. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, this is what the prophet said, I brought you up from the, out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. It's always grace first. Grace always precedes faith and obedience. I brought you up first. I didn't give you the law and say, be good, and then I'll love you. I loved you first. I rescued you first. And then there's the right way to respond in faith and obedience. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you. And I gave you their land. In the old days, you got their corn and you got their donkeys. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the covenant God of Israel. I'm not Molech or some of these other gods or Baal or whatever. I'm the God of the Jews. The creator, ruler God is in fact the God of Israel. I'm your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now, if you were going to one of those uh, silly churches, we would stop the sermon now. You say, there's a sermon. But we feel like here at St. Andrews that you should get two for one. So some churches will say, there's a sermon, and it's right there. Good points, done. We need to obey his voice because it can get really ugly. But because you're at St. Andrews, we want you to have value for money. We're moving on. But, but you need to know that context to appreciate what I really want to get at, which is these next seven verses. BOGO. That's what they call it. The kids call it now, right? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Hey, listen, in the tough times, you need to ask yourself the question, have I obeyed God's voice? Samuel, the Bible says, did not let the word of the Lord fall to the ground. When God spoke to him, he did what God said. Listen, some of us, things are not going well for us because God has spoken to you, he's led you, he's told you, and you've said no. It would never be an unwise thing to say, Lord, is there something that you've told me that I haven't done? I, I told you before that the Lord told me at one point to write a letter to my sister. To apologize. I fought with the Lord over a year. Well, if I write this letter, she's going to think she was right and I was wrong. And all these different, I had all these excuses. And, and finally, like a year passed and he had been telling me. And things were not going well for me. And he said to me, just write the letter. Because I had written, I mean, I say like in the old days, you write a letter and you rip it up and throw it in the garbage, but on, it was on computer, so I just put it in the trash. But I had read many, many versions of that letter. I had tried to obey him a little bit, but I always felt like it wasn't quite right. Finally, he said, send the write the letter and send the letter. Do you know what peace came to me when I finally did what God had told me to do? I, I, I thought, as soon as I saw that, why did I wait so long? And it was my pride. So I said, you don't have to worry about what she thinks or how she, you need to do and take care of yourself. 
some of us, it's possible that we're living in disobedience. The Lord has told you to repent of something, to give up on something, to turn away from something, to get your house in order in some way, whatever, and you've not done it. And God's not going to bless you the way he wants to bless you because you're living in disobedience. Not because he hates you, not because he's picking on you, but because he's a holy God. He does that to the people he loves. That's how he treats the people he loves. All right. First sermon. Oh, kind of over. Now the real sermon. Get ready for the good part. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. Oprah was on the edge of the land, which is where the, the Amalekites were and where the Midianites were coming from. And it belonged to Joash that, you know, I don't know how to say these words, but Abizrite, whatever, while his son Gideon, that's the key, I can say Gideon, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. Now anybody that's listening to this, I mean, we forget what a winepress is. I mean, we know, you put grapes in it, you walk on it. We've seen Lucy, probably most of us have seen Lucy. We, we know about the winepress, you put it in. Now remember that the bottom circle was like six feet in circumference, and it would be two or three feet deep. And then you had another level that was two or three feet higher, but still below the ground. So they would put the grapes in, you would walk around the sort of the ledge, and as you smushed them here, the, the, the grape juice that was going to become wine would go down into the deepest part of the wine press. Now, anybody knows, I'm not a farmer, <laughs> not, that's not what anybody knows, but anybody who knows anything about wheat knows that when you're threshing wheat, you want to be in a high place, not a low place. You want to get up high because when you smack the wheat, apparently, I've never done it, but I, I've seen it, you can, I've seen it, you know, there's decorations and my mother, she likes to make little things and you have, she'll get some wheat from the craft store or something. You get that thing and you've got the, the seeds or the grain and you smack it and you want the wind to blow because when the wind is blowing, the chaff will blow away and the grain will go down. Now, I've been to India, Tanzania, places where you'll go in front of people's houses and they'll be doing this. And they'll have blankets often or sheets down on the ground. And, and uh, when you get off the go between the airport uh, where they're going to go in India and where they're going to, they'll probably see 50 of these places. And people will have this neatly thing, and they'll be threshing the wheat, the wind will be blowing the chaff, and there'll be the grain right there. So anybody that reads this story that knows anything about farming would know, what a coward. This guy is hiding in this place with no wind, doing all this extra work, because he scared to death of the Midianites. I mean, here's a guy with no apparent natural leadership skills. Uh, no apparent courage. Uh, I mean, in fact, if there's anything we learn from this part of the story is Gideon was nothing special. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That gives me hope. God uses a whole lot of people that without God are nothing special. The whole beauty is with God, everybody can do some really special things with God. Here's a guy with no apparent talents, inclination, heart for it, and yet God chose him as we're going to see in the story. So, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press, we're all laughing, ha, 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 in order to hide it from the Midianites, 12, and the angel Lord appeared to him and he said to him, now if this isn't ironic... This cowardly guy who's hiding in a wine press doesn't even have the guts to get up and get the breeze to do the, the, the wheat. He says to him, the Lord is with you, 
you mighty man of valor. Now, the fact is, he wasn't a mighty man of valor. The truth was, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You will never grow in the spiritual life until you can separate the facts of your life from God's truth. This is a really big deal. Gideon could have looked back at his life and said, you know, I'm not a leader. I was never good at sports. I'm not a good hunter. I don't fish very well. I'm not really good at anything. But when the angel said these key words, the Lord is with you, that the angel could call his future and call it present and now. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now listen, there's two lessons from the Gospels that are mixed into this. The ten lepers, on the way of obedience, they were healed. The second is the loaves and fishes. Remember, that's for Jesus, the only miracle in all four Gospels. If we'll bring Jesus our little pathetic selves, he will bless us and he'll make a feast. He will take people with no apparent leadership, abilities, courage, whatever. But when God is with us, the most cowardly person can be a mighty man of valor. And in fact, God likes using the nobodies so that the glory is revealed properly to him as the creator, ruler, God. Because we don't do well when we try to live for self-glory. In fact, it screws us up. The universe was not built for man uh, to glorify himself. And so God loves joining regular, ordinary people and blessing them with his presence. Do you know that almost everyone here this morning knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? So that the angel could say truthfully to you this morning, the Lord is with you. He lives in your heart by faith. Almighty woman of valor. Almighty man of valor. This story is in the Bible so that we'll learn from it. It's not just a great story. It is <coughs> a great story. It's not just that it happened, which I believe it did. It's that we're supposed to see, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing the fact of his presence with us, that if God could take a guy like Gideon, God could take and use us. Whether it's in India or next door. Whether it's in Africa or our families, whatever it is. God is calling you into your destiny, but you won't get there if you keep looking at yourself. The whole key to the spiritual life is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, if we look at ourselves and we'll say, well, I'm overweight, I've been kind of sick, I'm getting older, I, I got all the excuses in the world. But if God is with me and if he's with you, everything's in play. Everything is game if God is with us. This is what he says to Gideon. Now, I, I, you know, I love this story, and you'll notice I like the people in the Bible who are whiners. It makes me feel better, because my dad used to say I was kind of a whiner. Not anymore, my friends can tell you. That's, that's something I got rid of long ago. Maybe, all right? But uh, look at here. Gideon doesn't say, oh, angel of God, thank you so much. Now that I've heard that straight from heaven, I'm on board. I'm going to run through the wall. I'm ready. Gideon says what most of us are thinking. Look at this. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord's with us, why then has all this happened to us? This is exactly what the Jews said to Moses at the Exodus. If Yahweh's the God, why are we the slaves and the Egyptians are the rulers? 
what's wrong with this story? And so the whole reason that Moses writes the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the whole reason he writes it is to explain to the Jews in Egypt why it is that their God is the creator, ruler God, and somehow they ended up becoming the slaves of Pharaoh. That's what Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that's what it's all explaining is the context of that answer. So Gideon says, if that's true, if God is with us, and if I'm this mighty man of valor, why has all this happened to us and we're being victimized by the Midianites and all these terrible things are going down? By the way, what was the answer? The angel didn't give Gideon an answer. But what was the answer? Because your people have sinned and turned against God. We don't know how bad Gideon was or wasn't. But did you know that we're judged as nations, we're judged as families, we're judged as states, we're judged as cities? Do you know that there's a corporate destiny that we share? And however good or bad Gideon was, Gideon was part of a nation that turned against God. The angel didn't tell him, but there is the answer that the first 10 verses already gave us. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? I don't know about you, but I've asked the Lord, where are all the miracles? Why do we see them in India and Africa and all over the world, but we don't see them as much in Gainesville? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. Gideon was willing to focus on his facts and to miss the invitation of God. It is crucial in this season that you take your eyes off of all your mess. Turn to God, repent, get right with God, and take your eyes off your past, your troubles, uh, your sins, the bondages, and fix your eyes on Jesus. There is a way out of this thing. God's going to lead you. He's going to empower you. God is with you. You know him by faith. He's forgiven your sins. He has not finished with you. It feels like it. It feels like it's just winding down for some of us. We're just treading water for a few more years and hoping that we're comfortable and our kids don't put us in a nursing home. I had a son once who threatened me that if I kept teasing him, he said, I will tickle your toes in the nursing home. That's what he said to me. That's what I'm dealing with at the Kuykendall household. Pray for me. Do you know, uh, Larry was reminding me, what's the most productive generation for CEOs of corporations, inventors, and all these different things? 60 to 70. One of the next is 70 to 80. Some of the greatest things, the greatest inventions, the people have finally gained the wisdom, the experience, and the humility. Age brings a certain humility, hopefully. God is not done. Some of you think God is done. He is just beginning. Fourteen. Now, it says the Lord, but it's the angel of the Lord speaking. The Lord's giving him the message. He could speak directly. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this strength or power of yours. You have it. It's in you. It's in you. 
Where is it? Well, Jesus lives in our heart by faith. The Holy Spirit's there. That's why we pray for the sick. That's what we do. We do because Jesus is inside. We're not impressed with our gifts or our abilities or our talents or our faith. We're impressed that Jesus lives in our heart by faith. And because he lives in us, who knows what good things we could do if we start to pray? Who knows what good things could happen if we step out and go and preach the gospel and tell people? Sometimes it starts in some really small steps, but it's amazing how good God is and the people that he'll use like you and like me. Go in this might of yours. By the way, Jesus was not embarrassed to tell the disciples, you heal the sick. We tell people, oh, you're not healing anybody. Well, Jesus said the disciples were. Jesus said, in essence, that you do. Why? Because he lives in your heart by faith with the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, you couldn't do it apart from the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But because he lives in you, Jesus could tell the disciples, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cast out demons, you cleanse the leper. Oh, we're afraid because of the wild Pentecostals that talk like that. If Jesus will talk like that, we need to understand how important Jesus understands that he lives in us. You don't, don't be bashful of what Jesus says. He means it seriously. He knows he's with you. He knows he empowers you. But he could really say, you do it. You step out. Well, it wasn't really me. It was you. That's the whole point. You're a Gideon. You did it in the strength of God. But the might is with you. Because God is with you. His power is with you. And when you pray, heaven hears. Now, yeah, we're not going to get big-headed. We, don't, we know none of it happens apart from God. But some people don't pray. Some people don't step out. When you do, he's thrilled. He is not a God that is trying to bypass us. In fact, he is a God who chooses to include us at every step of the way. I can't imagine. Why would he want to include us? It's so much more messy. It takes so much more time to get people like us to be part of the process. But there's something about our God who glorifies himself by taking people like us, forgiving our sins, cleansing us, teaching us, guiding us, growing us, and using us to be a blessing to other people. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midnights. Not apart from God. But he says, Gideon, you'll do it. If you'll step out in faith, you'll do it. I'm going to use you. I'm going to be there but you can do it. I wonder what things you could do if you really got the fact that God's with you. I wonder what neighborhoods in, in Gainesville would be different or wherever you live. I don't want grandchildren that we might pray for and, and love up and, and, and help grow. I wonder what neighbors would know Jesus because we, uh, we make a cake every week or so, invite them over and get to know them and eventually tell them about our Lord. The world changes with a lot of little steps of people starting to obey God, who get a vision that God's with them. And they begin to focus on God and not themselves. Uh, it's so easy. If you want to focus on what you don't have, your gifts, abilities, you, you, you can stay busy. But Jesus is asking you to look up and to see what he provides and what he wants to do in you and through you. It gets worse. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of minutes. Have I not sent you? 
I mean, there's some places I don't really want to go back to. I mean, I love traveling, and, and, but I'm getting old enough now where I just want to serve the Lord in Hawaii on a mission trip. <laughs> I mean, Tanzania is a little tough. I mean, it's not tough if you're going to go to the, you know, the game parks and stuff. It's glamping if you do that. We don't have the money for that in our mission budget. Uh, Chad's a little hot. It's 105 in the winter when I go. And, and, and they're cold. You think you're cold now? Can you imagine if your normal temperature was 130 degrees? That's what the normal temperature is in Chad. It'll be 105 degrees, and they walk from the sh shade into the sun to warm up. I'm melting like a can of Crisco. <laughs> I'm like, listen, they put on ski jackets and ski. Don't be laughing. You're going, Dion, didn't you? Don't be laughing. <laughs> they put on ski caps and ski jackets at 105 degrees. I mean, the people are beautiful, but, you know, if I could somehow teleport or something, I don't know. I, mean, I want to I minister from afar. And Jesus says, have I not sent you? Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I be any use? Surely you got a lot better people. Hey, listen, if you think God has better people, you're right. But he still chooses to use you for the portion he has for you. He's got a lot better priests and bishops than me. I have no doubt about it. But in his glorious plans, there's a slice of this thing that he's called me to do, not somebody else. And I'm supposed to be faithful in that slice. How can I save Israel? Indeed, I come from the worst family where the crummiest, cowardice, least leadership abilities, least skills. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which was the crummiest, weakest group of tribe. And I am the least. Every one of my brothers and sisters are smarter, sharper, better. Surely you got the wrong guy. Listen, get out of your self-pity. God is with you. That's what he's telling me. I got all kinds of excuses. And the Lord said to him, this is what I want to leave you with. I'm going to pray this over you in just a second. Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites. I don't know what the Midianites that you're facing Maybe it's trouble in your marriage. Maybe it's issues with your grandkids or your kids. Maybe it's your double-mindedness. Maybe you're like Gideon and you're double-minded. I've sure been double-minded. Hey, it's time to focus on Jesus. God is with us. He has called us to this day and this season. <coughs> he is asking you to step out in the power that he will provide as you step out. Nobody gets the gift of evangelism praying on their knees. The gift comes when you share your faith. No one gets the gift of healing sitting at the altar. You get the gift of healing when you start praying for the sick. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And Lord, we are so grateful for this story because when we see Gideon, at least for me, I see myself. 
There's a lot of facts and a lot of reasons. But Lord, just like you told Gideon, you're telling us this morning, that you're with us, that you're for us, to step out and to do the great things you've called us to do, even if that just means we start at home loving our families. Then loving a neighbor. Then helping at school. Lord, there's so many little things that turn into great things when the people of God step out in obedience to do what you called us to do. Lord, I pray that the power of the cross this morning would be manifest in such a way that you would take our eyes off of our past and all the defects and all the mistakes, the lie that we've missed God's best. Lord, your best is wherever you are. When we turn back to you, to the most crummy, rebellious people, you forgive them and you cleanse them and you get us back on track. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we, we want to believe these great things. We haven't understood why it's been so hard. But Lord, we confess, we have focused on the facts, on all the disqualifications, and we have taken our eyes off your cross. And this morning, we commit ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, if you were with Gideon, I mean, thousand years before the cross or more. Surely you're with us and you have pledged yourself in covenant by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning as we participate in your body and blood that you would nourish us, that you would give us the grace to be filled with your love for this world that you died for and your love for us that we, we would be so impressed with Jesus this morning that we would lose the bondage of ourselves. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask you to touch us, to move. Lord, we pray for this group that's stepping out going to India. And Lord, we're so excited, but Lord, we pray for when they come back. Lord, for the stories of people who are just ordinary people, but putting their lives in your hands. Lord, we ask this morning that that you teach us the same thing here. Lord, we pray for our neighborhoods. We pray for our city, our state, our nation, for this world. We're a long way from you, Lord, and we understand, Lord, why you punish us. But we ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to restore us to yourself as we confess our sins and to empower us by your Holy Spirit that we would step out in the might that's in us because you live in us by faith. We ask these things in the most holy, the most precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.